Kia ora whanau, happy 2022 and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast, a platform to dive deep into the minds of incredible Kiwis who have a story worth sharing. The support for the podcast so far has been absolutely amazing, so I just want to say a massive shout out to everybody listening at home and who has been tuning into these episodes. I've got some really exciting guests planned for 2022, I'm absolutely pumped to get back into it and I've found out that this is really a passion of mine, you know, I love having conversations with people, I love sharing their stories and providing value to you listeners at home. For the first episode of 2022, I sat down with the brother Jubes, or better known as James Matamua, an aspiring actor who landed the hit role in the movie Savage and also an athlete with his boxing ambitions to make the New Zealand Olympics team. This is a great conversation about a guy that comes from humble beginnings and a perfect example of when opportunity and hard work collide. Welcome to episode number five. Hey Jubes, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Nah, hey, before we get kicked into things, do you want to just talk about what you've brought onto the table here? Sweet. So we'll start off with my shoes. So um, back in the day, I used to be a big uh, shoe collector. Love my Jordans, love my Yeezys. Um, I lined up for Yeezys, I think about five times in total. And I, I remember then, seeing you outside Area 51, yeah, Area 51 back in the day. Yeah, bro. Spending days out there waiting for shoes. Um, now this pair of shoes, I... I got them, and then as soon as I got them, I wrote Jibs Marshmallow on them. Everyone thought I was crazy, but the, the idea behind that is um, when I become super, super famous, and then if I ever go bankrupt, I'm going to be able to sell them. They're going to be worth, you know, 50K, 100K. Yeah, a little bit of um, marketing and whatnot. Love it, man. Well, I feel honoured to have the shoes on the Beyond the Surface <laughs> uh, podcast table. And for those who are just tuning in today and listening, um, there are two, you know, well, one pair of nice Yeezys and we've also got some, some treats, some marshmallows yeah, some treats, yep. up on there too. Hey, Jubes, for those who aren't aware of you, do you mind just introducing yourself and who you are? Yeah, so uh, my full name is James Elliot Matamua Lamb, um, but I also go by the name Jubes Marshmallow, which is a little bit of like a nickname or a stage name. Um, I get up to, uh, I do like boxing, acting, um, I used to do a bit of cooking just like a real uh, go-getter and a bit of an opportunist. What was the first sort of six or so years of your life looking like? Yeah, sports was everything. Was always winning like cross country or always doing really well, um, making like rep teams for sports and whatnot. Um, all I ever cared about was sport, but I also came from a broken family. So um, pretty much, I think I was about one when my parents broke up and then I didn't see my dad again until I was four and a half or five. Mm. So when he came back into my life, um, and then when I was six, he got terminally ill. Um, he was diagnosed with heart failure. So he had his first heart attack when I was six, and then every four years, he would have another heart attack. So I also had that to um, juggle with while I was growing up. You know, my dad um, getting sicker and sicker, and just knowing that he was going to die um, while he was still young and while I was still young. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, that played a big part in everything as well. Like, um, I was never too keen to, like, go to school or do work. I just wanted to hang out with my dad and whatnot because I just knew that I didn't have um, too much time mm. left, mm. you know. But how did that sort of impact you, you know, as, as a young fella and having your old man who you look up to being quite sick? Um, I would actually say the biggest impact was um, it just taught me that, you know, nothing in life certain, um, you know, things in life don't always go your way. And then also for my dad, um, 
His mum, uh, when he was 16, got cancer, and I think she was sick for only six months. And then um, he went the opposite way of me. So uh, he just turned to like uh, pretty much like alcohol. Um, yeah, turned into a big alcoholic from what I've been told or just yeah, used alcohol as a coping mechanism. And then that's also a big reason why he got sick apparently. And then he'd always tell my older brother and me, you know, chase your dreams, don't follow on my footsteps. Mm. Apparently he had like a lot of potential. He was really smart. But then after his mum died, I think he was year year 11 or fifth form and then he pretty much dropped out of school and then yeah just did didn't do too much yeah man mm. so then um yeah just from that i was like okay and from what he told me yeah don't follow in his footsteps be a go-getter get stuff done because nothing's going to happen if you don't go out and do stuff yeah man no it's yeah. uh, it's so true and i think you know the first sort of six to 10 years of our life is always probably the most transformational for us all. You know, it's probably the most important, important few years when you're, when you've got role models and you're sort of paving out who you are as a young man, you know, going through, I guess, high school and, you know, with your family and stuff, what put you to the pathway of getting into cooking? Where did that passion come from, bro? Yeah. So even as a little kid, like I'd always go camping with my grandparents and from like five, six years old, they'll get my brother and me to like help cook dinner, you know, barbecue and whatnot. Um, yeah. And then I did the Magic Kitchen Showdown. Um, that was all a bit of luck. The ad for it just came on this one morning. I woke up at like, f- like five or f- six a.m., which was really early for me. Turned on the TV straight away because I couldn't get back to sleep. And then the, the ad came on. Oh, do you like to cook? are you the best chef in your school? Hell yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I <me>. am. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, signed up for the competition and um, did that. But then also, yeah, just cooking with the family and whatnot really made me want to be a chef. And then after doing the competition, I was like, oh, this is awesome. I actually have a passion for this. And then, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to meet Simon Galt. And then he um, it pretty much gave me a, an apprenticeship or a job. I started working for him when I was 14. Um, I mainly worked at Pravda Cafe, which is on Custom House Key mm-hmm. in the city. Mm-hmm. They make good scones there yeah, too, the by the best, way. the best scones. scones. I have the recipe if you want it. Mate, please. Uh, 20 bucks. <laughs> nah, but, um, but I'd also do a bit of work at like Shed 5. And um, I remember working at Crab Shack the first week it opened. And that was a pretty uh, surreal experience. But then, um, yeah, with Simon and everything, because um, my dad passed away when I was year 10. Um, I was... 14 um when i actually met simon my dad took me to the mall because simon was doing demonstrations at westfield in the hut and then um simon got people up from the crowd to try all his food um and he picked me out to try it all and then the next year dad had passed away and he came back to the mall and then um mum mum took me down and she was like oh you know his dad's passed away but you're pretty much his hero and then um and then Simon got me up to cook against him and I beat him in the omelette challenge. <laughs> and then um, he gave me a cell phone number and he said, when you want a job, hit me up. It's amazing. And he stayed true to that yeah, word Yeah, he as stayed well. very true. So I held off for a few months and I was even thinking, um, yeah, I might, when I finish school, I'll hit him up. But then for my speech in year 10, um, my speech was about wanting to be a chef. And then I said in the speech how I ended it with, oh yeah, I'm so keen on this and I... Yeah, Simon Galt gave me his number, so I'm going to be the best chef in the world. And then everyone in my class and my teacher was like, oh, why don't you ring him 
now or like, you know, this weekend or something. And then the school holidays were coming up. So I sent him a text message saying, oh, um, I'm, I'm keen to be a chef now or get some experience. Cool. And then, yeah, he sent me to Pravda. And then um, that was just doing five hours every Saturday. And then um, also doing some work throughout the school holidays, like maybe one Wednesday just for like five hours. And then for the first like six months, I didn't get paid at all or anything. It was all just experience and just keen, you know? Mm. Yeah. Hungry for it. Well, it sounds like an awesome mentor and role model. Are you still into your cooking at all, bro? Uh, not so much. Like, um, yeah, Mama on toast. Pretty good at cooking that. Yeah. Can't beat it. So, it's a staple. In nah, my like, I, because I worked for about five years in kitchens and then, um, then gave up. But I don't, I don't miss it too much, but then, um, like if I, well, how I'm going over to Australia, um, like Simon said that he's got hospital work over there for right. me if I want it. And then, so that I've still got the, the option or the avenues and whatnot, mm. but then everything with cooking as well. Like, um, when I first, cause I worked for Simon for one year and then, um, pretty much what happened was my mum was renting and my parents were always split. And then mum, after dad died, mum just couldn't afford to like pay the bills and whatnot. And then so we pretty much got evicted from our place. And then my brother, my mum and me were sharing a bedroom at a family friend's house for about like five months. I was sharing the bed with mum and my brother was on an airbed. I wasn't really going to school and whatnot. Yeah, just one day after service, I just said to my head chef like, oh, no, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. And then it just really all came down to pretty much being like depressed about my situation at home mm. and not going to school. And then left Simon. And then two years later, I was working at another place. I just had so much regret about leaving, leaving Pravda. And then I rang Simon up because I thought, because I was still like depressed about everything and still wasn't going to school and whatnot. And then I thought um, by ringing, ringing Simon, and going back to Pravda, I'd like fix all my issues. But then I only lasted about like four months. And then everything was became 10 times worse. And then um, and then the next year, my best mate, his dad, had got a promotion to go work at um, Ridges Hotels in Port Macquarie. Yep. So he was managing two hotels. And so I went over there for a fresh start. And then second week, his dad dropped dead in front of us, had a heart attack. In, in front of you yeah, guys. Yeah, in front of us, yeah. And then, um, so it was crazy, you know, like um, going to Aussie for this fresh start, um, new kitchen, was really keen to get into it. And then after he died, I lasted about two and a half months and then was just so depressed and just thought the whole world was just against me. And, you know, after losing my dad to heart problems and then going to Aussie for the fresh start and, um, and then, yeah, seeing him die and whatnot. I can't, was, I can't even imagine what that would be like to go through. Yeah, man. Um, was, how did you stay sort of mentally resilient during those during those tough times? Oh, yeah, I didn't like looking back at it. Like, I didn't even know if I really did too much, you know, like or, or how resilient I really was. I think I just tried to. I've always just tried to keep like the happy-go-lucky attitude, you know, like everything's sweet, everything's cool. Mm. But then I um, came back to New Zealand, and then second week back then I had a car crash it's been an idiot with my mates and then um I was in all this debt and then um 
yeah, then that's when I started boxing. So I was like, oh, I need some motivation. Um, and how I was saying earlier, like, sports was my life as a little kid, really good at sport. Um, at high school, kind of went bust. So I thought, oh, no, you know, I believe in myself. I know I can compete at a top level if I put my mind to it. I need motivation. And then, yeah, pretty much boxing, boxing, yeah, saved me pretty much, yeah. When you first went into the boxing gym, were you going in there as a, you know, I'll, I'm going to do this to take my mind off things or were you doing this as I think I can actually go quite far in the sport? No, nah, it was definitely, I think I can go quite far. But then I was definitely um, one of those things like, I was the only person that like believed in that, you know, like um, I had some friends who were boxing and who were really good at sport throughout high school and better and more dedicated to sports at high school. And then, um, yeah, they definitely would have looked at me like, oh, you probably won't have too many fights or do too well. But yeah, I was going in there like, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to be world champ. I want to, I want to do something with this. I, I, I want to talk about your, your mentality, bro, because I think, you know, in New Zealand, growing up in high school, we have this big culture around tall poppy syndrome. And when people have ambitious goals, you know, like what you're saying right there, I want to be a world champ. I want to be the best chef in the world. Um, it's quite standard for people to pull you down if you're, if you're a big, ambitious sort of high dreamer and goal setter. Where, where did your inner, inner confidence sort of come from? Were you always like that or did that stem from what your dad taught you? No, I think I was always like that. But then also having my dad um, cement that into me, you know, like you got to chase your dreams, um, you know, anything bad can happen at any time. Um, but then also when I got to stream, because um, at primary and intermediate, I was like really good at sports. So people, you know, liked me because of that. Also was a nice kid. And then I was pretty much famous at Ferguson for doing the Magic Kitchen Showdown. And then um, when I got to school, my brother had this big fight and because of the fight, we weren't allowed to go, because I went to St. Pat's Silverstream, um, but we weren't allowed to go watch this rugby game or a traditional against Wellington College. And that was a big deal, because um, every every year it switches schools. Mm -hmm. And then that year we were supposed to go watch it at Wellington College. So the whole school gets on the buses and they head to the school and they watch the game. And then, yeah, my brother had this fight after school and about 500 kids from school went and watched it. And then because of that, we weren't allowed to go to the traditional. And then um, they were huge back in the day. Yeah, eh? I, I remember, you know, a big deal it was like the biggest pay per view. If somebody was scrapping after school, everybody would get around oh. it, chuck the phones out, world star. Yeah, pretty much. Did your brother win? No, nah, he got wasted. Oh, shit. Yeah, but that's what it is. But he fought a dude that was bigger than him and whatnot. But that, it was all just, you know, young and dumb. I think it all started because they were just talking trash on Xbox. But um, yeah, but then because of that, Especially a lot of the seniors, like, yeah, everyone just gave me such a hard time. And I'd never dealt with that before, and I'd never really had people, like, be mean to me. And then, like, maybe looking back at it, it was just, like, high school banter. But then at the time, being, like, a young year nine, I definitely took a lot of it, like, to heart. Mm. And then I wanted to leave St. Pat's. But my granddad, he went to St. Pat's, and then he actually paid for my brother and me to, like, go there. And then so he was like, no, nah, you're not leaving. You have to stay. Um, but then going into the next year, I didn't hang out with anyone my year level. And I hung out with the year below me. And then to do, to do that at school, 
you know, most people will be like, oh, what a loser, hanging mm. out with kids the year below. But, um, yeah, it just made me and it just gave me the attitude like, yeah, you just got to be DGAF, you know, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks. And then, you know, the people in my year and the year, years above didn't, didn't accept me because of my, what my brother did. But these guys are accepting me. So, yeah. And then just that, that whole attitude became a thing or my persona. Like, I didn't care what anyone thought about me. You know, my dad always taught me, who cares what people think? Um, and then, yeah. So for me, I've always had that attitude like, oh, I don't care. I'm just going to give it my all. Um, and you never know what people are going through or what stage they're in with life, you know? Like, um, yeah. So, mm. yeah. Like, I was good at high school. Wasn't oh, I was good at primary school, intermediate, not too good at high school, and now I'm booming again now. Yeah, man. And I'm sure people who saw me at primary and intermediate wouldn't be surprised at all, but then the people I went to high school with are probably thinking, like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, like, man. How, how is he doing this? You yeah, know? yeah, no, totally. And look, high school, it's a, it's a, it's a, cra- it's a crazy time just being a teenager in general, right? You've got, like, crazy hormones getting pumped through you. There's the additional bloody pressures of social media and your social status and looking cool. There's all of these things kind of, I guess, add up together. Yeah, bro. Um, and the sad thing is when you see people, you know, who might, who might peak in high school and their sort of, I guess, peak in terms of where they've been is, you know, being the, being the jock or being the most popular guy at school. And then you see when they lose that sort of social connection to their, to their peers and everybody's working um, some of them they can find it quite hard to catch that second wind. Yeah, man. Um, have you have you seen that at all? Yeah, I've got a lot of friends right now who are just so boss throughout high school and whatnot, and then they're just struggling now or trying to like find their way, and they already feel like. Because so I was at, I went for a run this morning with a kid from my boxing gym, and he's only eighteen, and then I was saying to him how like because he left school at the end of year twelve to start an apprenticeship, I was talking about like buying a house and all that kind of stuff. I was just saying to him, like, oh, you got to do it, like, stick at it, like, keep that mentality. And I was saying, like, I've got mates, because I was young for my year, so my year level was, like, 23 and 24. But I've got mates who, when they were 18, how they thought they would be at 24, um, they're just not there, you know? And then they're just struggling or lack the motivation. Mm. And a lot the, of mo- them- the motivation is a sucker, eh? And it's, I think it's the most depress- depressing thing when you see a young person um, or you know so anybody at all really who lacks that ambition or drive and motivation, or they just haven't found it in their life yet. Um, and that's you know looking at you, bro. Have you got these ambitious goals and stuff? I think I think a lot of people can learn from that. Yeah, but I think it just all comes down to like just believing in yourself. And um, you know, I always tell myself like I'm not special. It all just comes down to like hard work and. I guess seeing through the bullshit and mm. not worrying about like ego and mm. stigmas and you know. Did you deal with many people? Even now, you might experience this, but you know, when you've got when you set these ambitious goals and you put that out there, where people might drag you down. Um. Or have you found most nah, people I've kind are of got like to this supportive. point where, like, yeah, I just keep doing things and getting stuff done, so people are just like, "Oh yeah, sweet, I got no doubt." You know, um, but I think it just—it's more about the people that kind of knew me but don't know me too well, or just people who knew me in high school and whatnot. You know, like, like when I was filming Savage, I'd be telling people who I hadn't seen, 
couple of years, oh, yeah, I'm doing this movie. And they would all think, oh, yeah, whatever. Or you're just doing some, like, big, YouTube big channels movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the movie, you know, came out and then they saw it and they're like, oh, my God, I didn't realize it was... A real thing. I was like, oh, well, I, I told you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, can we speak about your journey into acting and how did that come about, um, that pathway? When did you first audition? Because, you know, Savage is... Mate, I saw that last year in an exceptional movie, and we'll touch on that soon, but how did you get into that acting pathway? Yeah, it just all came down to right place, right time, and um, it was all because of boxing. So uh, the director of Savage, he went about it in a way that he wasn't too keen on, or maybe I think it was mainly for my part in the, the first part with the kids. He wasn't too keen to um, actually get actors. He was looking for like real people. The right fit. So he came to the boxing gym. And this is actually, this is a movie in itself because I was at training and I was getting destroyed in sparring. And then I'd been boxing for maybe one year at this point. I hadn't had any fights. And then I just remember like my coach stopping the round and just saying like, what are you doing? You're just getting clipped. You're just getting hit for nothing. You know, change it up, you know, do some feints. Don't just like be a robot and just do the same thing. And then I kind of took it to heart. And then um, after sparring, I went outside. And I was pretty much crying. I was trying to hold back the tears. I was doing like... Deep breaths. Deep breaths, yeah. And I was thinking to myself like, am I really cut out for this? Like, can I do this? And then I started thinking about, you know, like um, Muhammad Ali... Michael Jordan, Kobe, you know, they all talk about, oh, I never give up. You know, I'm here because I never gave up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can't give up. And then that night, Sam Kelly, the director of Savage, walked into the gym. And he's like, oh, we're making this movie. And as soon as he, as he said that, I just was like, oh, mean, like, what's it about? He's like, oh, it's kind of like about gangs in the 60s. And then I'm like, oh, I like The Outsiders. And he's like, oh, you've seen The Outsiders. So I was just making, like, this rapport. And then he got us to fill out this form. And then about a week later, I got this email saying that the audition's going to be on this day. And then the audition was about two weeks after that. And it happened at the boxing gym. And then um, I had this friend from Toy Fukati and I went and saw him. And I, because, you know, like, that's how I roll as well. If I want to do something and I've got friends who are already doing it, I'm going to go ask him for help mm. or get them involved, you know? And then um, so I went and spoke to him and... He taught me how to like memorize lines and cues and beats and all that type of stuff. And so I went in and he's like, oh, you got to wear a costume. So um, I got like an 80s bomber jacket and whatnot. And then um, yeah, I went all in. And there was only four of us from the gym who auditioned. Um, one of them was my cousin and another dude, one of my best mates. And then that was, that was awesome as well because we're all competitive, you know, being boxers, being athletes. And, um, but yeah, I was the only one that rocked up in a costume. Like, I went hard. And then, yeah, so the audition was uh, between, he brought in a girl. So the scene was like, I had this um, kid with this chick. But I was like a deadbeat dad, just a young dad. And then I just knock on the door and I'm trying to like win her back or saying, like, right. take me back. Let's go have some fun. And that's what the scene was about. So that scene wasn't even in Savage. Um, and then, yeah, I did about like 20 takes. So every take he'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, be a bit more charming or, I'll be a bit more like deceptive and then um that happened and then about a month later later there was a callback and then did the callback and then um about a month after that 
um, got the call saying that I got the role. Did you take a video of that call or shortly afterwards you telling your mum that you landed yeah. that leading role? I remember seeing that on yeah. your Instagram, bro. That was beautiful. Yeah, so I told her that and then even she was in like disbelief or didn't really like believe it or didn't really like understand too much about how big of, a, big of a deal it was. Yeah, bro. And then it was hard case as well because I was actually supposed to have my first boxing fight um, on the Saturday and then on the Thursday I got the call saying... I got the role and then they were like, oh, um, I said, oh, I've got this fight this weekend. And they were like, oh, well, you know, will you get a black eye or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I could get a black eye or broken nose. Not me, like, be the other guy. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah but, <laughs> but then, um, yeah, they said pretty much like, oh, if you get a black eye, we'll probably have to fire you and you won't get the role. So then, yeah, boxing went on hold for about, six, seven months where I did Savage and whatnot. Wow. Wow. Yeah, bro. But then I was a, I was a go-getter as well. So the lady that emailed us about the audition, um, I didn't even know she was the producer. So right after the audition, I emailed saying like, oh, hey, like how much longer till you tell me I got the main role? Because I know I smashed the audition out of the park. <laughs> It'd be silly not to cast me. Like I'm the next big thing. Yeah, just... Where, yeah, being where does where does that come from? Like, that's that's what I'm really fascinated about. Oh, I think it just comes from like. I think it's naturally yeah, just your. It's just, that's you. It's just me. That's you. That's but you. I definitely feel like well, you talk you talk to anyone who's old, or, you know, like or successful or like forty plus, and they all talk about you know people who are confident and who are just unafraid, who just show up and are keen. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, bro. But I even remember one time, like, um, hearing about, like, Justin Timberlake, because he started off um, on the Disney Channel. And then for his first audition, he was the only kid in the room that was, like, you know, talking, not sitting down, wasn't nervous. And then I also heard the same thing about, like, Julian Dennison. So when he had his first audition for his first film, which I think was just, like, a short film, and he was the same same as me. The director of that just went to his primary school. Um, and then, but he was, like the first kid to walk in who was like, yeah, I'm that guy. Owns it. Yeah, you know? Yeah. But as well, it's just, I think it's just a common sense thing, eh? Like I saw how big of, a, of an opportunity it was and how life-changing it could be or just even like just the glory of it or, you know, maybe I might never do another thing with acting, but at least I can say I did it, you know? It's going to go, it's going to be a great chapter in my book when I have grandkids, you know? It's a great story to tell them. Yeah, oh yeah, I was in this movie. Yeah, man. You know, so. My name was Danny. Yeah. Um, did you feel any pressure? I'm just trying to take you to like your first your first day of filming for Savage, obviously not having any acting experience and acting alongside some pretty, you know, well versed and experienced actors. Yeah, nah. Nothing. 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 Wasn't nervous at all. Yeah, bro. I just went in and rocked it. Like the mentality was I've got everything to gain and nothing to lose um and then also because i've never acted before there's not really like a um like the what's the word well you know like if you go to drama school you know people like expect you to do these great things and whatnot you know mm. yeah there was no pressure no to, expectations no expectations yeah, yeah. Bro. yeah there was no expectations to to be amazing mm. you know so but then for me as well like you go to drama school and you learn a certain way. But to me, um, acting's all about 
I think like listening, you know, to like what the director wants because the director, because he also wrote the film. So it's all about like pretty much whatever he wanted. Like it's his vision. So whatever he was saying, I just gave it a hundred percent and tried to like pull it off, you know? Mm. And then, but it also came down to like, um, cause yeah, he came to the boxing gym to find people who had been through struggles, you know, he didn't want the actors and he had talked about like Rocky, you know, the film Rocky, he's boxing because he wants to be a real champ. He's got nothing. And then he kind of felt like that's why people just box. Like that's why every boxer boxes because, you know, he's saying to me like, you know, why else do you want to get punched in the head? You know, why not go be a swimmer or be, you know, play basketball totally. or t a team sport where you aren't getting like damage and stuff. Mm. But, um, but it worked out well as well because, you know, apart from the boxing, you know, losing my dad and seeing my mate's dad die and I guess like being homeless with my mum and stuff, um, you know, that all helped. Because every time before we'd film a scene and even in rehearsals, we'd go through every line and the director would be like, oh, I want you to think about, um, this is a sad moment in the film. When you say this line, I want you to think about the moment um, like when you first got told your dad had died. And then, um, so yeah, so pretty much every time I say something, I'm thinking about something that, that had happened mm. in my life, in, you know, and using, life, using that to yeah. um, portray it on the screen. Mm. Yeah, man. Beautiful. And uh, with Savage, I think it probably started a pretty timely conversation or just insight really into gangs in New Zealand as well. Did you guys have much involvement with the gang community when you were making it? I didn't. I didn't like not not me, um, but the director did, and um, like other people working on the film. Um, he spent he spent a lot of time like researching and being around gangs and going to like the pads and whatnot. And then because um, his kind of thing came from, um, he directed this play, and then the dude that was the main character, he got mistaken for this dude that stole a gang patch, and then. This dude just stabbed him in the heart, killed him. Um, so this dude had nothing to do with gangs, just from Porirua, um, just wrong place, wrong, um, time. wrong time. And then from that, the director really wanted to get into you know, telling these stories and telling like why gangs pretty much formed in New Zealand and why why gangs exist, you know? It's not just because people are just assholes and savages. Just be, it all comes from how they're brought up and what they're around, you know? Totally. So, yeah, it's so true. And I think the movie beautifully portrayed that, you know, having the sort of three different points of Danny's life, you know, from like a young boy to you as the sort of teenager. How old was that middle Danny? How old was he? He was 16. Based? 16, yeah. yeah. And then the adult. And you can so, see those big life moments yeah, which man. happened and how that influenced him to be who he was in the movie. And it's crazy, like, even, you know, watching it and thinking about it, like, pretty much all I had to do was go home. But the character was just thinking, you know, like, no one wants me or my, do I really want to risk going home and then really finding out that my family doesn't want me. And then, you know, a lot of that stuff happens and you know, there's a lot of kids out there who are, who go through that stuff or maybe not to that extent, but are just scared to like, you know, when they're in trouble to ask for help mm. and get guidance and, you know, mm. yeah, man. With, with the acting, where, where do you want to take this? I do want to go like all the way. Like I'm 
really want to like the next KJ upper. Yeah. Like I want to be in the big films, but I don't really know if I want the fame, you know, I would love to be like Thomas and McKenzie. Like you never see what she gets up to. You just see like when she's at a film premiere or like on a talk show, but you don't see like paparazzi following her, following her around. And then she does these awesome films too. Um, yeah, I definitely want to be more of like a Christian Bale or like Leonardo DiCaprio than like The Rock. Yeah. But I definitely want to get to the big leagues. Yeah. But as well, um, there's been so many like different variables and options and ways to do things. Like when I was filming Savage, um, I spoke to this agent up in Auckland and they were like, oh yeah, we'll be keen to sign you, but you probably have to move up. But at the same time, I was keen to go study sports coaching down at Canterbury. And I said that to them. And so they're like, oh, no, we, we don't want to sign you if you go down to Christchurch. And then I didn't even end up going down to Christchurch and then didn't keep in contact with them, never told them that I didn't go. And then, um, then I was thinking, oh, I'll go to Australia. So I had this meeting with um, Chris Hemsworth's agents. And then that I sorted that out through the guy that played the big man, Savage. Was they also represent him? That's Jake Ryan, and then um then I was going to move to Sydney, and then COVID happened, and then so I moved to Auckland, and then even with that I walked into Gail Cowan, um didn't even tell her I was coming in, and I just walked in. She wasn't even there, and then um the girls in there were like, oh who are you? And I was like, oh I'm James Matamua, um. I was in Savage, I want to sign with you guys. And they're like, oh, what the hell? Like, no one ever does this. And Gail wasn't even there. And then they just signed me anyway. Oh, yeah. And then um, moved up to Auckland this year to pursue that a bit more. But then COVID just put it on hold. And then, um, yeah, I really want to focus on boxing for the next few years. And then um, focus on acting when I'm older. Yep. I definitely think that I have to go do some like type of study for like people to actually like cast me and take me more seriously. Like I do have the credit of Savage, but yeah, pretty much my vibe that I've got is that if you haven't done like any study, then no good. Mm. So and it's sorry, is that, is that is that study in the sort of creative space around acting, or does it just mean study in general? Oh no, you're studying like acting, acting. So you're going to like Toy Fakati or going to Pro Actors or um, oh Pro Actors. Oh, there, there's a drama school in Auckland as well, but then also um. Like I do classes and whatnot, but then I definitely think that, yeah, they want me to go, you know, study for a whole year or two years and just tick the boxes, you know. So, but they can kind of like the game plan is I'm going to go to the UK, I'm going to box, I'm going to come back, I'm going to win nationals, I'm going to go to the world champs, then I'm going to go to the Olympic qualifiers, qualify for the Olympics, go to the Olympics, get my gold medal, and then give up boxing. And then... Um, focus on acting. So you got unfinished uh, business in the in the boxing space yeah. at the moment. Yes, sir. And I'm going to remember this conversation because you've also got the Olympic rings on your yep. cap. There we go. <laughs> so I got this hat from Ryan Scaife, who's one of the best boxers in New Zealand. Shout out, Ryan. He's a ten time, eleven time national champ, uh, third generation boxer. Um, pretty much, I guess now if we, I guess we'll start talking about boxing. Um, he. His grandfather opened our gym and then took a team over to the States. Um, they fought Ali's guys and then Muhammad Ali returned the favor, came to New Zealand 
And then Ryan's dad, when he was about 20, um, went over to the States and trained with Ali for about six months. Wow. Qualified for the 1980, um, I think it was Moscow Olympics, but then Russia, New Zealand boycotted, so they never went. And then his dad had also been offered an undercard fight at Madison Square Garden, but chose to get the go for the gold medal instead. And then decided that since the Olympics didn't happen, the pro boxing didn't happen, he'd just become the coach. And then um, he took over. And then, you know, Ryan was born and Ryan started boxing. And yeah, Ryan, yeah, Ryan's the man. He's been to two Olympic qualifiers, hasn't qualified yet. But yeah, he got this hat in Jordan the start of last year. And I was like, oh, that's a cool hat. He's like, oh, do you want it? And I was like, oh, yeah, bro. It's pretty it made me train hard, you know? It's yeah, mean. more motivation. Yeah, I've actually follow uh, Ryan on Instagram and on Strava, and man, that man can run some fast yeah, splits. Bro. It's ridiculous. He's a beast. Yeah, but he's always been that kid. Like, um, he always went into school cross country. Like running was like my main sport. Um, when I was at primary school, and he'd always beat me, and he'd always say like, "Oh, I didn't even do running. I just do boxing." And then from about year five, I asked my mom all the time, "Can I do boxing? I want to do boxing." And then she was always real iffy on the head stuff. And then, so that's why I started when I was older, you know? So I was keen to become the champion and was needing motivation. But then from Ryan always beating me, that's what wanted me to like, that's what made me want to go to the gym and like mm. give boxing a go. Because not only like, was it about the boxing, but it was also about like being this like fitness freak, you know? How, how long have you been boxing for now? Because you also picked up the Golden Gloves this year, yeah, was this it? Yeah, this year, yeah. Massive, bro. Yeah, massive. Um, so I started when I was 19, back in 2017. Um, and then trained for a year, and then Savage happened. So then that put me out for a year. Um, I could still do running and like punch the bag and stuff, but just no sparring. Yeah, couldn't and, get that black eye or else you might get dropped. Yeah, I might get yeah. dropped, yeah, get fired. Um, and then I had my first fight in April, 2019. And then, um, then I turned 21 in April as well. And then I, um, went and moved to Aussie for like five months, trained there. And then, cause since my dad died young, I got like a little bit of inheritance and I just spent it all on, uh, an American trip. So I just went to the States by myself just to go watch sport. Awesome. Just, uh, started in Boston when I watched the Patriots and then made my way across to the West Coast and then pretty much had a few months off boxing because of that and then came back and then I had six fights last year. Um, I think I won four or maybe I won three, lost three. Um, my first two fights, I won them and then my third and fourth fight, I fought dudes that had like 10 more fights than me and um, the experience. Yeah, stepped it up and because as well, your first 10 fights, you're supposed to do um, two-minute rounds and then for my fourth fight, I did, um, it's always three rounds for amateur boxing. And then, yeah, 10 fights in under two minutes. And then after that, you go to three minutes. And then for my fourth fight, fought a dude that had 10 more fights and had three minute rounds, but I lost that one. But it was still just like about Learning getting the experience a, yeah. and throwing yourself right? in the deep end and especially starting the sport late, you know. Um, and then went to Golden Gloves that year as well. And then I had two fights. On the first day, I won in the morning and then lost in the night. And then so didn't win the title. And then had a fight in November. And then, yeah, then had my first fight at Golden Gloves this year. And then, yeah, won that. It was just Huge. one fight. 
And then, yeah, got it done. Unreal, so, mate. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, it's unreal. And it's because I was just in the novice category. So that's just for people who have had like 10 and under fights. But already just winning that is like changed the trajectory, you know, like how people look at me and just, um, yeah, like also in terms of like sponsorship and stuff, just by having having that title, you know, people are keen to like back me and believe in me so much more. Yeah, bro. Do you need like a sponsor beyond the surface? We might be able to hook you up with some plugs. Let's get it done. <laughs> and then I'll, we'll go both ways, bro. Yeah, mate. That sounds good. Um, with, with boxing, what is the process, especially around like your first ever fight, you know, lacing up against another man? It's probably not something which all listeners could probably resonate to. Um, I've definitely got a few mates who are in the sort of Muay Thai kickboxing space and, you know, watching, watching them perform under those bright lights, it's something like nothing else. What's it been like for your experience? Yeah, I love it. Um, in terms of like, I've never psyched myself out. I never get nervous. Um, for me, it's like one of those things that like, I'm in there because I want to do it. You know, I don't think of it as like this crazy thing, like like a lot of people do, you know, like everyone must think, oh, you must have huge balls or, yeah, or, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I just like love it. And in terms of getting ready for like your first kind of fight, it's just a lot of training, um, a lot of fitness and stuff, but everyone's different. Like I've trained with people who after, after a month they had their first fight or even after two weeks or some people were six months or some people train for two, three years before finally getting in the ring. Um, I don't know if before Savage I was supposed to have a fight, but at that point I'd been training for a year and f four months. Um, and then there was about like five or six fights that should have been my first fight and stuff came up or people fell, th um, people fell through. Like this one fight, because I went and joined the territorials or the army reserves. Um, and then the week that started, I also could have fought then, but then chose to go do the army thing. And that didn't last long because boxing and acting. Um, and then like this one other, th other fight, you need a boxing book to fight and it's got like your medical and your record. And if you don't bring it to your fight, you can't fight. And so this one fight I weighed in and then he didn't have his book. Bummer. So, so then couldn't, we couldn't fight. Damn. Yeah. And then like a lot of like, there's so many book issues and issues like that, or people will show up and they're overweight. And then it's pretty much like your coach's decision. And then they'll be like, nah, you guys overweight. Like not what the it. hell? Mm. Not worth it. Yeah. Mm. Obviously in New Zealand, I think with the rise of the UFC as well, combat, combat sports is definitely on the up. What do you think is accredited to all of, like, is the popularity of the sport in the in the recent years? Oh, I think it def definitely just comes down to like um, people winning, and also the thing of the UFC. It's like it's new, it's fresh, you know. And boxing kind of has this stigma about, um, you know, it's like corrupt and it's fixed, and there's so many fights where the guy who should have won didn't win, you know. And then with UFC, it's like it's pretty good in terms of. Um, Consistency, consistency around judges yeah, and stuff, yeah. And then also, um, I think the thing I like about it is that um, there's no like eight count or anything, you know. Like if you're done, like you're done, like they just stop it or ground and pound. Yeah. But then it's also I think with New Zealand, it's just like people doing well and people seeing that like you can get to the top, you know. Like 
how many pro boxers over the last 30 years get to the top or even like get more than one bout like um Trissa Parker he was up there but he only had the one bout I think the WBO um but David Tour was up there like 20 years before that you know um there's actually not a lot of guys that actually like get it done and then um I think that's a big part but then I'm I've I grew up and I'm really good mates with um Navajo Sterling yeah bro he's and a then, beast um, he's a beast King of the ring. yeah bro so um yeah bro like just looking at him because he's the same type of deal as me like at, at high school he was a rugby player or oh, his primary and stuff rugby and then he was a in my eyes, like Nav was talk, talk about and say like, oh, he wasn't that good. But Nav was always, always a phenomenal athlete. Phenomenal was, athlete. You, do, yeah. you just look at how that man's built. He's like, built like a brick shit house. He'll, he'll say that he wasn't and that he was average at rugby and stuff, but no, he was a beast. Yeah, yeah. He was a beast. And then um, he was the man at basketball. But then, um, yeah, he started pretty much kickboxing. I, he actually started and then did it and was like, oh, and then a little bit later, that's when he fully got into it. And then, um, but yeah, like if he can do it, why can't anyone else? Totally. He just got that that killer mindset, you know. Yeah. yeah, man. So where do you want to take take boxing? Is it the Olympics? Is the end goal? Do you want to fully take a take a run with this and see where you get to? Now, pretty much the Olympics is the game plan at the moment. So. But the actual game plan is... Let's set some goals right here so yeah. we can play this podcast in 10 years and watch watch it back. So the actual plan is I'm going to Aussie in a couple of weeks. Um, just going to get some better money or just more money and then save up for the UK. So I'm going to the UK to box. Um, and then I'm going to head there in April. And the plan is to have about 36 fights. And then I want to have 18 fights in England or in the UK and then 18 fights in mainland Europe. So every two weeks for 18 months, just fight. So the first week of the month, fight in England. And then two weeks later, oh, I'm flying to France. And then, you know, just for the weekend, go back to England, go know. work, go work on some building site, get ready for my next England fight. And then two weeks after that, oh, sweet, I'm, I'm flying to Hungary, flying to Russia, flying wherever, just wherever I can fight. And then, um, and then the plan is to come back, qualify for nationals, win nationals, do the Olympic stuff because what happens is that usually um, every two years there's world champs. So right now world champs just happened. Um, New Zealand didn't go, but then um, in two years time they're in Uzbekistan and usually in, in terms of timing, they're always two weeks after the New Zealand nationals. So then I'd go to them and for, for world champs, it doesn't matter um, if you win or if you lose. Um, but obviously you want to do good. So then New Zealand sport backs you a bit more. And then Olympic qualifiers are about like two or three months after that. Now, if you lose at Olympic qualifiers, you're pretty much done. No Olympics. And you need to, I think, make, I don't know if it's you need to make the semifinal or make the final. But if you do one of those, mm. you don't need to win the semifinal or the final. You just need to make it and then you've qualified for the Olympics. But then if you win... You obviously get like a better better seed at the Olympics. Yeah. Um. Do that and then do the Olympics. But the the game plan is is that in the UK, um, find a gym that travels. But then I'd already been looking at like all the pro gyms and stuff, and because boxing in the UK is a bit different. Amateurs train in the morning, pros train at night. You right. don't like mingle. Right. Um. 
But then like right now, um, about a month ago or a month and a half ago, I hit up England Boxing asking about like the best city to train in. Um, like London is just the mecca of the UK. You know, mm, it's busy. Mm. There's more stuff to do there. Um, so it's good for that. But then Birmingham is, um, that's where Team GB trains. And then I've just heard like Manchester is just a good area um, and the cities around Manchester have good gyms. So like Billy Joe Saunders, his gym's like an hour train ride okay. to the east or to the west. And then Tyson Fury's gym's an hour to the north from on the train from Manchester. So I think the game plan is to go to Manchester and then just train or travel to those gyms and see what happens. See if Fury has an amateur team try get involved in that because boxing is one of these sports bro the best thing about it is that it doesn't matter like who you are you can just rock up you know like if the all blacks are training and you want to you play rugby you can't just go no train with all blacks exactly but boxing gyms are like you just show up and train like i could go to tyson fury's gym and my i might never see tyson fury or the pros because i'm training with the amateurs but as long as i'm doing work and like working my ass off and just training totally. that's all that matters they're not going to be like oh who the, who the fuck is this guy like that, that's what's yeah. so amazing about combat sports eh? and you see that with city kickboxing up in auckland um or even you know the combat academy i think it is which is yeah, Dan Hooker's gym. Jack is, eh? yeah, yeah yeah shout bro. out to jack what a what a savage yeah, that man bro. is jack mclean getting uh, that done totally but you can see through that you know you've got these professional ufc fighters who are literally on the mats with some of the you know amateur people just starting and that's what i love about the culture of combat sports yeah bro that's actually yeah, it's awesome like even when i went to melbourne i just um went to a gym that i heard that was like good or messaged a coach and yeah, straight away the coach was like, yeah, man, come through. Because it's all about as well, like, um, they might have their guys there and they just might look at me like, oh, they might not actually want me to fight for them, but I can train there. But it's really like I'm giving their kids good sparring and stuff. So, yeah, stuff like that, you know. So that's why, that's why it works mean. And then um, when I went to London for Savage, for the London Film Festival, um, I went to a gym called Peacocks um, when they're like, I think I trained there twice, two days in a row. And then even at that point, um, there was, uh, at the time, there's a thing called the WBC Super Series. And that's where like, because a lot of guys in boxing, they dodge each other. But this thing was mm. like, you, all the champions and all the guys who are the number one contenders have to fight. And it was like- How it should be. Every, it was like an eight man, eight man tournament. And then, um, yeah, so the final was happening and this dude called Regis, Progar Regis Progaris, I think that's how you say his name. He was fighting this dude called Josh Taylor. And then Josh Taylor right now, is, he's the undisputed champ. And then um, Regis was training at Peacocks. So that was just surreal, like, go to the gym. see. A, and at, the, at that time, he had the WBC bout. And then, yeah, yeah to go to the gym, see that see pros that are there. there. And, you know, you're allowed to be in there. You know, there's no or media or people telling you, like, oh, you can't be here, you know, piss off, you know, or you, you fanboy. Yeah, man. Yeah, bro. It was, nah, it was surreal, man. It's pretty special. It's pretty special. Hey, before we wrap things up, we've also got some um, some sort of quick fire questions. So I'll, I'll fling them over to you, Jubes. Sweet, bro. What is the meaning of life? Just live in love. Live in love. Keep it simple. What does legacy mean to you? 
giving it 100% and no regrets. Jake Paul or Tommy Fury? <laughs> That's the thing because I'll be going to Fury's gym. So... Fury all day. But that's, that's, actually, that's actually an uh, idea is that I'm going to go to Fury's gym and they're going to, because David Naik is there right now that's and right. he knows that I was in Savage. So he might be like, oh, this guy's an actor. And then we already know that it's going to be a draw and there's going to be a rematch. Yeah. And by the time the rematch Money comes out. around, I'll be in the UK. So you're going to see me, you're going to see me on that undercard. Mark my words. I'm Love going to get it, it done. Love it. But I can't yeah, wait to go back Tommy on Fury. this stuff. Tommy, Tommy Fury. Good pick. Good pick. Uh, favorite actor and why? Me. Yeah. Nah, um, <laughs> favorite actor. Oh, oh, probably Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Yeah, I just like his range, and I love most of his films. Yeah, he's pretty yeah, good. Eh? Uh, if you could change one thing in New Zealand, what would this be? Ooh. Nah, can I think about that one? Yeah, we can come back. Next to question, it. next question, please. <laughs> One thing you want the audience to take out of this episode? Um, like, I'm not special. If I can do it, anyone can do it. You know, um, if you, you know, you might have a low, but it's always up from, up from there. You know? Love it, yeah. bro. It's yeah, so cliche, true. but yeah, bro. It's legit, though. It's legit. Uh, what do you believe is the main thing that is holding back young people in New Zealand? Just like attitudes and yeah just i think it's just like ways of the past you know yeah bro yep. yeah what advice do you have to somebody right now who might be struggling just never give up come to Hiratama boxing um club and train with me Man. get some motivation get some black eyes yeah bro <laughs> uh and the one we we're going back to if you could change one thing in new zealand what would this be one thing and oh it's a tough one crystal ball sort of yeah. thinking here one thing in New Zealand. One thing in New Zealand. Magic wand. Magic wand. Boom, everybody gets $500 when they uh, turn 18. Nobody has to ever suffer. No, probably that. Oh, I don't know. Do we need something? Do we need? Just say anything. Oh, just that. I guess more people do boxing. Nice. That's all you could change. Yeah, bro. I love yeah. that. More people do boxing. Uh, be, before we wrap up with a bit of a quote, where can people keep in touch with you and your mahi uh, jubes? Um, yeah, Instagram. That's Instagram. a good one. What's your, what's your uh, handle? Jubes Marshmallow. Man. So if you search up James Matamua on Instagram, it won't come up. Just strictly uh, Jubes Marshmallow. But Facebook, James Matamua. Yeah, bro. Awesome. Follow that. Cool. Hey, we'll wrap up with a quote. I thought it'd be quite fitting to have a quote by Muhammad Ali. Um, here we go. Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in the world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. Impossible is not a fact. It's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration. It's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. That's it. Cheers. Oh, bro. Thank you. Appreciate it. No, thank you.